And seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Psalm 94 and reading for our text, verses 10 through to 13. Verse 10 to 13. He that chastiseth the heathen, shall not he correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. Psalm 94 from verse 10 to verse 13. And what is upon my spirit is the Lord chastening his people because of their thoughts. You will notice in the words of our text, in verse 10, we have chastening. He that chastiseth the heathen shall not he correct. He that teacheth man knowledge shall he not know. In verse 12, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, Teachest him out of thy law. Seems to flow, doesn't it? Chastening in one verse and chastening in the other. But there's a verse in between. And the verse in between is about thoughts. Thoughts that the Lord knows and thoughts that he sees are vanity. We cannot escape the message that the chastening is relating to thoughts. The aim of that chastening is in verse 13, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. This psalm begins with the psalmist complaining that the wicked are prospering. Verse 3, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? The picture is as if God is taking no notice of the wicked. They're walking outwardly in sin and in wickedness. But here is God's answer for his people. There is a pit being dug for the wicked. They are to be destroyed at last. They have their portion in this life. They think that they get away with sin and all manner of evil. But there is a judgment to come. But the people of God, the Lord knows them. He loves them. And because he loves them, then he'll correct and chasten them, not just for outward things, but for that which goes on within. And we might say, what 
Chastened for what? Chastened for thoughts? Has it not been in the news lately where there have been those that have been silently praying outside abortion clinics and they've been hauled off to the authorities for trespassing on land that they're not supposed to be on. It's an exclusion zone and not judging whether they're doing right or wrong in doing that, but the thing that they have been uh, has been said, well, this is thought police. Something has just been going on in a person's mind and the authorities are, are going to judge them by what they cannot hear or see or just what they're thinking. Well, of course, natural man, he cannot. He cannot hold people to account in that way uh, except when those thoughts then come to be evidence outwardly in outward actions. But that is very different with the Lord because the Lord, he does really know the thoughts. He does know exactly what goes on within. And another thing that is so vital for the people of God, it is within that they have his kingdom. My kingdom cometh not by observation, it is within you. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And the blessings, the sweet meditation, communion, fellowship that the people of God have with the Lord is in the heart. And the Lord says that the heart of man, deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, and from out of the heart proceed those evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, all manner of evil. That is the heart by nature. That is what we are by nature. But when the Lord blesses a soul, when he calls by grace, then makes there to be a change, a new nature, those new desires and new affections. And there then is a warfare and a battle within the old nature, still seeking to cast up all manner of evil thoughts and affections. Yes, in a renewed heart, still there will be rising up those sinful thoughts and inclinations, uncalled for, uh, just rising up and spring up from the corrupt pit of our old nature. But the new man of grace desires that their soul would be that calm, delightful house of prayer, that it might be the seat of communion, of fellowship, of meditation upon the word of God, of thinking upon the name of the Lord. But instead there is this warfare for the mind and for the affections. And the Lord takes notice of what goes on. He knows what is needed for his people where his kingdom is, and where the seat of every blessing is within his people. And when he then notices that there is that which is there which should not be, 
Like in the temple, the buyers and sellers, now Lord came and he drove them out. Uh, my house is called a house of prayer, but ye made it a den of thieves. And that can be like that with our hearts and with our thoughts and with our imaginations as well. And so the Lord then will deal with his people in love with this aim in view that they might be given rest from the days of adversity till the pit be digged for the wicked that he would bless them in their souls. We might try and take great care over all of our outward walk. We've sung in our hymn of the people of God, though their outside be kept clean, they feel the filth within. And we might then think, well, because the outside is clean, then surely everything is right. And we wonder why perhaps it is not right. And we overlook, overlook the importance of right thoughts, overlook the importance of resisting evil thoughts. And I want to say right at the start in this, because many of the Lord's dear people are so tried even as to their state or whether they are a child of God because of the things that go on in their mind, in their thoughts, in their affections. The Lord will not chasten, he will not deal hardly with his dear people as they are beset with evil thoughts from the adversary and from their own wicked heart. He has compassion on them. He has mercy upon them. He feels for them. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows what our old nature is. But where he sees one of his children, they're ceasing to realise the evil of evil thoughts. And they allow them to lodge within them allow them to take root. They nurture them. They give them food to feed upon. They look upon things, see things that fuel those evil thoughts. And they nurture them and spend time going over them and dwelling upon them. And the Lord sees the difference between one that is crying out like the psalmist in Psalm 119. I hate vain thoughts, he says, but thy law do I love. They do not heed the word in Isaiah, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. Yes, we have that contrast here. The wicked, it's easy to see, his wickedness as it manifests itself outwardly, but the righteous man, a man that appears godly, a man that goes to the house of God, a man that preaches, 
a man that sits at the Lord's table, a man or woman that is found amongst the people of God, the word to him, the unrighteous man, his thoughts. He may profess to be righteous, but actually there he is and in his heart there are those things that should not be so. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Philippians and he seeks to direct us to what are right and good thoughts and good affections. He says in chapter 4, Finally, uh, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So often you think on other things. Our minds are like the flowing garments of the Jews that when they had to do any work, they had to gird up. And we are told, gird up the loins of your mind running hither and thither. It's a constant, wearing task for the people of God. And yet they are called to walk this path as part of the warfare, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold upon eternal life. It's part of the privilege of the people of God. And it is that which the Lord will Notice with his dear people, take recognising of where they get into a position in which that temple of God, that place within the bosom of that child that has had sweet meditation, that has had himself formed there, that has had the love of God shed abroad in the heart, that it has sweet thoughts of the things of God, suddenly there in that place is nurtured, allowed to stay there, remain there, all that is contrary and vile and worldly and ungodly. Proud thoughts, vain thoughts, lustful thoughts, murmuring thoughts, thoughts against the brethren, Thoughts against the Lord, affections wild by sin defiled, says the hymn writer of Carry Us Away. So as we said, the Lord has great sympathy for his dear people as they are beset and attacked constantly by such thoughts. But when there is a falling in with them, when there is a peace with them, then he will correct, and then he will deal for those things. I want to notice three points here. Firstly, our God that corrects and teaches his people. And then secondly, our God that knows the thoughts of man and chastens for vain thoughts. And then thirdly, our God that blesses. Our text opens with the word that 
he chasteneth the heathen. Now, in one sense, the Lord's judgments and dealings on heathen nations is not for their good or for blessing at all. The Lord dealt with Babylon. They were his servant first in being the children of Israel in captivity for their sins. But then in time he dealt with them. And also the Lord's judgments upon Canaan. But we would remember that those amongst the heathen, the Lord gathers his people from them. We don't have in this world those that are born actually God's children and those that are the heathen and the gospel is only for one section of humanity but not the other. The Lord knows where his people are. We do not. And the gospel is to be proclaimed into every nation and kindred and tongue. And the Lord does then deal with all nations and every one of his children have been brought from being not evidently the people of God to be the people of God. We know that they are chosen in him from the foundation of the world. We know that they are called, that they are first brought under the rod and brought to know the Lord because of his sovereign saving grace. But we have the picture here of a God that does deal with mankind. And the question is asked, shall he not correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, I remember all knowledge and that, God, that man has all comes from God himself. He has given him that wisdom. Man does not have wisdom himself. He likes to think that it comes from him, but God has given it to him, bestowed it upon him. But the question is, shall not this God teach? Shall he not know? Shall he not correct? Yes, the Lord shall. Our God that corrects and teaches his people. And this first point I just really wanted to highlight and make us really consider this. Our God, the God of heaven and of earth, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, he does have dealings with his people. He's not like an idol that cannot see, that cannot hear, that then if it did hear and did, it did see, it cannot act. It, it cannot have any sway over us. The Lord is not like man as well. The man himself cannot have power over another man. We can't change one's heart. We, we, we can't work in another's heart. God only can. And we have this set before us here to really to think upon this, to think upon our God that does correct his people when they are going wrong. You know, when we were younger and the cars weren't like they are today, and we used to see our parents driving and the steering connections, it was all mechanical. 
and there was a lot of slack in it. So all the time you'd be correcting with the steering wheel. And when we as children used to imitate and we'd get the armchairs in the, in the lounge and make out we were driving a car, one of the great features of driving the car was to be constantly correcting the steering wheel because it was a bit loose one way, so the car would start going that way. So you correct it with the wheel the other way. The modern cars are not like that at all. But when we were young, it was. And you think of the Lord, when we start to go one way, the Lord then corrects and brings us back. Thou shalt hear a word behind thee, when thou turnest to the right hand, when thou turnest to the left. All the time there's a correction in it. Yeah, years ago on, on, on the bridge uh, going over to Tasmania on the ship, I was being shown round and the master of the ship, he heard the helms, uh, the uh, one that was actually guiding the ship, say to the helmsman, Port 10. And as he was speaking to us, he suddenly he stopped, he hesitated. And he turned to the man in charge, he said, with respect, he said, that's a bit hard. And he said, correction, port five. Well, I'm glad he did correct it, because when that ship turned, even at five degrees, it was a, quite a hard turn. But the master had listened to what the direction was and realised it was too much, and he corrected it back again. We're used to it in many things in life. We're one that knows, one that understands, and is seeing another one and acting in a way that they can't just be left on in that way. They can't just be left to go. There's a correction. There's a bringing it back again, making that right that was wrong. And this is the picture of our God. We have a God that will correct in this way, that shall know, that shall teach. He knows what is going on. We cannot, and in our right mind, we would not want to deceive the Lord. We would not want to try and pull the wool over his eyes. We cannot. But we are to learn this. We read that though because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of man is fully set in him to do evil. And a child is like that. If he's let to get away with something, he'll do it again and do it again. And the more he gets away, you think, oh, well, we do it again because we're getting away with it. And it needs that correcting. And we're the same. A man is the same. And even the Lord's people are the same. And this then is why we have a God that does correct and does teach. It's one of the marks of the Lord. And if we are the people of God, it is one thing that we should watch and mark because there may be those times that we know that no other person has known what has gone on in our heart. No one has known what we are going to do or thought to do, but God has known and he's done things in our lives to, to stop that way up or to show us what is the right way and what way we're going. 
to make known to us the deceits of our heart. And it's a great comfort to know Thou, God, seest me. Thou knowest me. You know, you think of David, how did he come to be able to pen the likes of Psalm 139? Where he says that thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest by down sitting, by not rising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compass my path and my lying down art acquainted with all my ways. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. And you read that whole psalm very mindful of the Lord's seeing eye over him. And it's a great blessing. Instead of feeling this as a terrible thing, that this is a blessed thing. But we have this God that does correct and does teach. Then I want to look secondly, our God that knows the thoughts of man and chastens for vain thoughts. We've spoken of David and how that his thought was known by the Lord afar off. And the Lord is the one that knows what is going on in the hearts of his people. There it is that he comes and blesses them. There it is that he forms them to be a dwelling for his spirit. There it is that he places his word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And the Lord knows the thoughts then of man. And he can discern, really discern, whether there is a resisting or whether there is a going along with those thoughts that arise from the wickedness of the heart. He discerns the conflict that is within and it is on what he discerns that he would then chasten and correct. It would be a most solemn thing if we were just left to go on with an outward form of religion and that we never ever knew the sweet meditation, comforts, joys and blessings of the Lord within the secret of the Lord, which is with them that fear him. The blessing of the Lord that maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. Job, he says, he maketh my heart soft. The softening warmth of grace. That still small voice that is heard within. That manner 
that distills the Jews from heaven. And yet where does it go? Where does it enter? Does it enter into prepared ground? Does it enter into hostile ground? Does it enter into a place where it will bring forth fruit or where it will be utterly quenched and destroyed? Do we, as it were, in the house of God or when we have our private reading times, have our minds that they receive the word of God, but ere a few minutes later, in comes all manner of other thoughts, or we're looking at things, hearing things that completely extinguish all that we've heard, all that we would meditate upon. People of God are to be like the clean beasts that chew the card, that go over what they have heard, and that is what goes on within. It's in the same as it were, a temple of our thoughts that are thinking other things and going over other things. And so our God, who knows those thoughts, you are chastened where it is seen, there is not resistance, where there is a relishing of them, a going after them. And we might think, well, surely some thoughts are not so bad. When we think if we go to the library and we see rows and rows of books and they're under the title fiction, you know, those books have arisen from just the thoughts of men's hearts. They're not things that really happened. They are things that have been imagined. Man can, if he cannot do something or cannot walk in a way, it's easy to fantasize, to imagine, to picture it, to write a story of which he is the master of the beginning and the ending of it and all that happens in it. And we can be exactly the same even in spiritual things, even in deceiving our own soul. But as regards the sinfulness of our heart, we can be of those that have within not a real path, but an imagined path. Vain thoughts, empty thoughts, with no foundation. We mentioned the sieve of Paul's letter to the Philippians to put it through. Is the thing that we're thinking of true? Is it honest? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of good report? Is there really any virtue in it? Is there any praise in it? How many of our thoughts would fail that? And it is where those things are nurtured that are really detrimental to our soul and the Lord sees it. And the Lord then deals with it. You might say, how does the Lord chasten with our thoughts? We had this morning the Lord chastening by sending leanness into our souls. And if we are a living soul, we will feel that. 
and presented before us will be this, you might say these two ways. If you want to relish and have all these thoughts on the one hand, you can have them, but you won't have fatness of soul, you'll be leanness of soul, you have no assurance of life and no comfort and no real token for good. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that is one way the Lord chastens, which is unique to God's children, is to give them that leanness so that they don't relish the word of God, don't profit from it, they do not have those sweet blessings. The Lord says, I'll return unto my place until they acknowledge their transgression. Uh, they will seek me early when, when it is that they miss my presence. The Lord can use other things as well, whether it be health, removing our health, bringing us into affliction, bringing things upon us, one thing after another, going wrong, the lash is steeped, he only lays his in writer, yet softened in his blood. But whatever the Lord uses, he will be sure to show the reason why. And it may be the word this evening is a word in season, it is a word to give the reason why the Lord's hand is upon us why we are what we are. He was said to the Apostle Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Very often with us, there will be those pricks, we will know that the word that is spoken is true and is right, and we know that the Lord is just in, in what he does. So our God that knows There'll be those aspects with his chastening that we are convinced the Lord does see us, he does know us. The timing of it is, is so exact. We think of the king that could not work out why it was that Israel always knew where he was going to be. They always saved themselves. And he thought there was a spy in his own camp amongst his own servants. But one of his servants said, no, there's none of us here for Israel. But it is Elisha, it is the prophet, and he is telling the king of Israel uh, what your plans are that are made in secret. That's how it's been known. And you see, the Lord knows what is going on in secret. He that seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Why the Lord directs when we pray to go into our closet, shut the door and pray unto our God in secret. He that seeth in secret, he that knoweth. Think of how many prayers we may offer up and they're in our thoughts. Some of you may pray and sometimes it's good when you can uh, pray audibly when you're in private, if you've not got those that over here. But many times we may pray and our private prayers will be in our thoughts. And then we finish prayer and then what is in our thoughts? And then what is going on in that same place? James, it's, he speaks about speaking, using our tongue. 
one moment to bless the Lord and the next moment to curse our brethren. But we can be like that with our thoughts as well. And it's for these things that the Lord then corrects. And the whole idea of correcting is to bring us back from that slippery slope, back from that snare, back from that slowly imbibing more and more and getting down into the pit of thinking, well, there is no hope for me, this is how I am, this is what is going on. You know, we, we like a, a life of ease, a life of peace. The idea of a constant battle, resistance, crying to the Lord that he would deliver us and save us from those evil thoughts that come in. We don't like that. It's hard work. But dear friends, it's vital and it's necessary. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And sin is not just outward. It's inward. In fact, all sin, it begins inward. And if left unchecked, then it comes outward. So, our God that knows the thoughts of man, he chastens for vain thoughts. And if your thought is this evening, what? The Lord chastened for that? Surely he wouldn't. My life is upright. I read the Bible, I have my times of prayer, I go to the house of God, surely the Lord's not going to take notice of what I'm thinking. He does, and it's vital that he does. I want to notice lastly our God that blesses. We have in verse 12, blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, out of the word of God, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. And what a following on. The Lord will not cast off his people. No, not his people that are plagued, that are troubled by the old nature, he won't, but instead he will chasten. That beautiful Hebrews 12 speaks of that mark of a son or a daughter. And it is a blessing of the Lord. Often we might pass over what are real blessings of the Lord, just thinking it is things that are pleasing to us, and not looking upon those things that are corrections. How many of the people of God, and I hope I've had those times, I've blessed the Lord for afflictions, bless the Lord for sickness, bless the Lord for even shutting my mouth and stopping the ministry, making us see why, make us to search and know what the Lord would have us to see. Otherwise those things, they escape our sight. We pass by them. But to see them as a blessing. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. 
solemn thing if we only view the Lord's blessings in smooth things and we never see that which the hymn writer says sometimes the Lord wraps in frowns as well as smiles some tokens of his love we are exhorted not to despise or think light of or small of the chastening of the Lord. Well, the message this evening is not only not to despise, but to actually recognise what the Lord may be chastening for, what the Lord does chasten for, what the world would scoff at and thought, well, that's a silly thing. Why should the Lord deal with that? Why should he take knowledge of that? But we should not be like that. And if we know what it is to have the real blessings and comforts and joys of the Lord in our soul, we should realise what a danger, what an adversary, what contrary thing a vain thoughts to the thoughts of the Lord and the sweet meditation of what the Lord has done for us, done for us on Calvary's tree, suffered, bled and died, risen again, suffered to set us free, not suffered to enable us to continue in sin that grace might abound, but his name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, including their sins of thought. Our Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. To be tempted is not sin until we take up with that. And may we then be delivered from going along with Satan's temptations or the deceits of our heart and bless the Lord when he brings us again into the sweet blessings of his presence within. A calm, delightful house of prayer, the sweetness of the Lord's presence. May the Lord add his blessing and make it work for good for us, including me and each one of you, that you might know that blessing of the Lord that maketh rich addeth no sorrow with it. Amen.